Turn in God's Word tonight to the book of Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. That which we often read, we become familiar with, but we often overlook words that are used. I think we'd find that in this text as well. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And bring the children of Israel up out of Egypt. He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Thus far the reading of God's breathed out word. Let's again bow in prayer. Father. We pray that your word will be made clear to us so we can better understand the truths found in it. Continue again to give Pastor Bob clarity of mind to open up that word so that we may know you better and your will for us. In our Savior's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Note the title of our message tonight. Multiple appearances of the angel of the Lord. 
In our series, as we've been doing it on Sunday evenings on angels, a number of weeks ago, we, we came across the passage in Genesis chapter 16 of, of Hagar fleeing from Abram and Sarah. And there we saw the angel of the Lord make an appearance to this slave woman, this one who was to bear Abraham a son by the name of Ishmael. There we saw the angel of the Lord come with great compassion, with great care, with great tenderness. As we hear Hagar respond at the end of that section, now I know that you are the God who sees. You are the God who sees, you are the God who knows. And we've gone on from that to look at other appearances of angels in the scriptures. But as I was thinking about that and planning the, the series of messages, it, it came back to me and dawned on me that perhaps we had not fully delved into that which we find in God's word in regards to this, the angel of the Lord. And so tonight we return to it and look at the multiple appearances of this angel throughout scripture and then the message that this brings to us. So we want to look at this under three points. First of all, the reality of his appearances. Secondly, the reason for his appearances. Why does the angel of the Lord appear? And then thirdly, the realization of his appearing. When we speak of this, the angel of the Lord, when we were back with dealing with this with Hagar, we we defined it and said this, this angel of the Lord is really an Old Testament appearance of Christ. John Calvin would concur. He wrote in regards to the angel of the Lord the following. For though he, Christ, was not yet clothed with flesh, he came down, so to speak, as an intermediary in order to approach believers more intimately. Therefore, this closer intercourse gave him the name of angels. It's from his institute, page 133. So we're dealing with Christ, that when we hear and when Scripture testifies to us the fact that the angel of the Lord appeared, it is Christ. That is pretty clearly evident to us in Exodus chapter 3, isn't it? We'll come back to that in a few moments. But first of all, the reality of his appearances. How often does the angel of the Lord appear in Scripture? Well, if you consult a, a good concordance, you'll find that there are, depending on your translation, about 65 references in scripture to the angel of the Lord. 65 references. There are, in those 65 references, 16 separate occasions. 16 different times the angel of the Lord, Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, makes an appearance in the Old Testament. Let me just reiterate a few of those to whom he appears. We already mentioned Hagar. 
We've already also alluded to Abraham in that Genesis 18 and 19 passage. But he also appeared to Jacob. He appeared to Balaam. In that story of Balaam, it is the angel of the Lord that stands in the way of Balaam. It's not just an angel. It is the angel of the Lord. It is Christ who stands in the way. Joshua, Gideon, Samson's parents, Elijah, and Zechariah the prophet. All of which received a visit from the pre-incarnate, the pre-son of God in the flesh. As we're told in scripture, the angel of the Lord. Now that's just, just to put out some information as far as the reality. God's word continually brings us back to this angel of the Lord. Now why? Why does this angel of the Lord, why does Christ keep coming to his people in the Old Testament? I think it would be easiest to look at this under five categories. There's five different reasons that we find Christ coming as the angel of the Lord to his people. The first is this. He addresses his people. See, we got to remember that the word angel at the core means messenger. That's what an angel is. An angel is a messenger. Messengers are angels. That's the way the, 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 the grammar, that's the way the words okay, in Hebrew and Greek function. Christ comes as a messenger to his people. He comes to deliver a word. Well, of course Christ would come to deliver a word, right? John chapter 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. The word was in the beginning. The word was with God. The word was God. There was nothing that was made without him. And with him was everything made that has been made. Of course the function of Christ designated in Scripture as the angel, the messenger of God, fits. What else would you call him? What, how else would you refer to him? When he comes, for example, to Moses here in Exodus chapter 3, he comes with a message. The message is, Moses, God's heard the people. Message. I'm aware of it because, you see, the, the language suddenly gets intermixed. Look at verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. The angel, Christ, is making an appearance to Moses here in the wilderness. But as you read through, and that's why I continue to read the passage, because now it's the voice of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord, Christ, who is the Lord, is now speaking. It is Christ who has seen his people. 
It is Christ who is going to come to deliver his people. See, I don't know if you've ever thought about this passage of Exodus chapter 3, but this is a great Christmas story. This is the Old Testament Christmas story. God's seen the affliction. God is coming to rescue. That's exactly what happens, isn't it? In Luke 1 and 2. That's what's being celebrated. The angel of the Lord has come to Moses to commission him. He is addressing him. He's addressing him. He's telling him, I've seen, I've heard, I've witnessed, I've come to deliver, and you're the man. You're the one. You're going to be my chosen instrument through whom the Lord is going to work the deliverance of his people. We don't find that in, in that sense. Christ is functioning as many other messengers as angels did as well. We find throughout the Old Testament that those angels of God continue to make appearances to God's people and they bring to God's people messages. One only has to think of the, the prophecies that are found in the book of Daniel where the angel Gabriel comes and makes appearances to Daniel to deliver him messages about that which is God is going to do. So Christ has come. He comes even to those in the Old Testament in the form of the angel of God in order to address his people. Why else does Christ appear in the Old Testament? Well, he appears at times to protect his people. Go with me to the book of Psalms if you have your scriptures open. Psalm 34. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. See, it's not the angels of the Lord. It is not an angel of the Lord. It is not some angels of the Lord. Who is it that is designated here who encamps around those who fear the Lord and delivers them? Who? The angel of the Lord. Christ. The function of Christ in the Old Testament as well as the New is to protect, is to guard his people, is to keep them. I and the Father are one, and no one can snatch you from my hand. See, Christ protects us. Christ guards us. That's what the, the psalm is alluding to. Go to Psalm 35. The very next psalm, verses 4 through 6. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. What's the picture of our enemies being driven away? Who are our enemies being driven away by? The angel of the Lord, Christ, 
driving away. We go back to the book of Exodus and, and uh, you, you think about this call to Moses here in Exodus chapter 3. And you know the, the, the chapter is full of Moses' excuses but, but we know the outcome, right? Eventually Moses goes, the people of Israel come out and the first thing, they come out, they get delivered and all of a sudden they're met with an obstacle. And what was the promise? The promise is, I encamp around my people, right? So now look up Exodus chapter 14 and notice what happens in Exodus chapter 14. Let's go to verse 15. Pharaoh's on the way. Pharaoh's there. Verse 10, Pharaoh drew near. People of Israel lift up their eyes. They're scared. They complain. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved before them and stood behind them coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. Who just interceded? Who just came between Israel's enemies and themselves? Christ. Christ is the one who intercedes once again. Christ is the one who comes as the go-between. That's what Calvin was calling our attention to in the quote. Before he has taken on human flesh, before he has been born of the Virgin Mary, Christ already is that intermediary. Christ already is functioning as the one who comes with the word of the Lord to his people. He already is the one who protects and guards and keeps his people. Sometimes, as we have here, okay, it's in rather miraculous ways. Look at another example of, of that protection. If you go to 2 Kings, book of 2 Kings chapter 19. Sennacherib is threatening Jerusalem. We had this in our Wednesday night Bible study a few weeks ago. Sennacherib is, is at the doorstep. Hezekiah is faithfully praying for deliverance. What am I to do? Hold fast. Verse 32, 2 Kings 19. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Now, how does the Lord do that? Verse 35. And that night, 
the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. Who delivered them? The angel of the Lord. Who? Christ. Christ comes and defeats the army of the Assyrians, slaying 185,000 of them in one night. Christ is the divine Son of God. Christ is that second person of the Trinity, has come and protected his people. See, sometimes it, he's coming with a message. Sometimes he comes with power and might to guard those who trust in him. Sometimes he comes and encourages his people. You think back to the event we had uh, a few Sunday evenings ago with Hagar. What, what is the angel of the Lord doing there? Well, we might say he's bringing a message, yes, but it's a particular type of message. It's a message of encouragement. Go back. It'll be okay. Ishmael, your son, is going to grow up. He's going to become a great nation. Go back. Submit to Sarah once again. Or he comes as with a word of encouragement to Elijah in the midst of a, Elijah's discouragement after the great contest at Mount Carmel, thinking that in his own mind, well, we've won, we've defeated the enemy, Baal worship is going to go out, we're never going to see it again. The only problem is Jezebel now puts a price on his head. And he, in great discouragement, flees. And there, in the midst of his discouragement, while he's under a tamarisk tree, guess who appears? The angel of the Lord. To speak to him. To feed him. To give him food. Food that's going to sustain him for a 40-day journey. Sometimes Christ comes encourages his people, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I am with you always, even until the close of the age. But sometimes the angel of the Lord comes to discipline his people. Find, if you would please, 1 Chronicles chapter, I'll get my reference here, sorry, 21, 1 Chronicles chapter 21. David has counted the people. He has taken a census. God was not pleased with that. That was something he was not supposed to do. Verse 7, God is displeased with the thing. And he struck Israel. He offers David three choices as to what will be the consequence of his sin. David chooses Three days of pestilence, 
Verse 12, here are your choices. Either three years of famine, three months of devastation by your foes with the sword of your enemy overtakes you, or else three days of the sword of the Lord, pestilence on the land. Oh, with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. And that's what David chose. Thinking that perhaps the angel of the Lord might indeed have mercy. Well, he was right. The Lord did have mercy. But not before there had been many that fell. Verse 14 tells you 70,000 people died. But then the hand of the angel of the Lord is stayed. No more. No more because there's a sacrifice that is made. And by that sacrifice, the wrath of God is appeased. But notice who carried out the judgment. It was Christ, the angel of the Lord. Sometimes as he makes his appearances here in the Old Testament, he covenants with his people. I actually thought Dr. DeYoung was going to take us down that road uh, when he preached on the Lord's Day, but he, he, had, he, he took us down a, another avenue of it, which was fine, it, it was there. But notice in that third chapter of Malachi these words, Behold, I send my messenger, now remember the word messenger, okay? And he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you are seek, will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming. Now, think about this. The messenger of the covenant. What's another word for messenger in the Old Testament? What, what word do we use? Angel. So now read it. The angel of the covenant. Who is the angel of the covenant? That's Christ. See, here in Malachi, God is saying, he's prophesying, my angel, the angel, Christ, my son, will come. And the purpose of his coming will be to establish covenant. And after the supper, he took a cup. And he said, this is a new covenant in my blood what the Lord said was going to happen. The messenger of the covenant, the angel of the Lord, Christ, was going to come and establish a covenant with his people. But remember how Dr. DeYoung went on that Sunday night to describe, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he's like that refiner's fire. He is like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. So we've, we've, we've looked at, in, in a sense, here are the number of times it's referred to. Here are the occasions upon which the angel of the Lord appears. Here are the reasons. Now stop and just stop and consider what God has displayed now through his revelation, through his word, about 
the angel of the Lord, about Christ. See, we, we you know, sometimes we, we get the whole thing of, well, you know, Christ was born at Bethlehem. No. Christ is eternal. He is the eternal Son of God. He always was, always has been, and forever will be. This eternal Son of God has already come into human history. But as he came into human history, he did not come, as Calvin was saying to us, in flesh. He did not take on our flesh. He came as the angel of the Lord. He comes to address his people. He comes to protect his people. He comes to encourage his people. He comes to discipline his people. He comes to covenant with his people. This is Christ. Described as an angel. Now go back to when we first began this series. Think of that word, not only as messenger, but think of it signifying that which is mighty, that which is powerful. That which is holy, that which is majestic, that which is beyond human, that which is greater in many respects than man. Correct? Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels, yet crowned him with glory and honor. It's an amazing thing to stop and think about how the Lord has chosen to reveal to us how it is that his son has come and interacted with his people there in the Old Testament. No person of the Old Testament, by the time Malachi closes, would have said, ah, the angel of the Lord, that's nothing. He, he's not very powerful. He's not very important. Any reader of the Old Testament would have looked upon this and said, this is, this is amazing that this angel, not just designated as a angel or an angel, but the angel who speaks as God, who is God, has come, he's rescued us, he's spoken to us, he's encouraged us, he's disciplined us. Us. He's covenanted with us. Now think of all of that and, and, and the, the, the majesty of what is happening here in these texts. Think for a person of the Old Testament, simply the story, the event that we read from Exodus chapter 3, right? The angel of the Lord appeared in that burning bush. Think of how important this episode, this event of Exodus chapter 3 is to the Jewish mind, to the Jewish life, deliverance. This is a great hope. This is a great blessing. God has heard the cry of his people and has delivered them. And they're living with hope and expectation. 
that God will do so again. That God will send his deliverer. That God will send the angel of the Lord. In our language we would say that God would send again Christ. To bring about a greater exodus. To deliver his people. Oh, the Jews are thinking it in terms of the Romans, aren't they? They're living in that expectation. But God has something greater in store. Not a deliverance from a nation or from an empire. But deliverance from Satan himself. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. We're held in the clutches of Satan. Now, with that as background, think with me for just a moment then about the realization of his appearance. In the Gospels. He's been announced. There's prophecy after prophecy throughout the Old Testament. He's coming. Here's what to look for. Here's what you need to see. Christ is coming. The angel of the Lord is coming. The deliverer is coming. The Messiah is coming. Joseph, Mary's going to have a baby. He's going to deliver his people from their sins. Mary, you're going to give birth and he shall be called the Son of the Most High. Mary, you're going to give birth to the Christ. See, we have to take all this Old Testament angel, the angel of the Lord. You got to pack it into Joseph's mind. You got to pack it into Mary's mind. Now they're being told. He's going to be their son. So what if she ponders all these things in her heart? How can this be? But even more than that, stop to consider. comes into this world, this angel of the Lord, Christ, Messiah, Son of God, hot on angels' wings, not with trumpets blaring. But he's born. 
the most common of things that all of us in this room share. There is not one of us in this room who has not shared in this very same event. How much more common, how much more earthy can this be? Not delivered as a package out front of their door at the inn of Bethlehem. Not having some angels winged down from the throne of God, carrying them on wings and just giving him to Mary gently. This angel of the Lord, this one who destroyed 185,000 Syrians in a night, this angel of the Lord who came with a pestilence and destroyed 70,000 Israelites in judgment, this angel of the Lord who appears in the burning flames of that bush, this angel of the Lord who Hagar identifies as the one who is all-seeing. This one who nourishes Elijah with a meal for 40 days. This one who comes to Gideon. This one who speaks to Joshua as the commander of the host of the army of the Lord. This one. This eternal son of God. Is born. Well, I know we want to rush off to the cross, don't we? But you can't go to the cross and have a Savior who wasn't born. The Christ, the Christ, enters into this world in the most common and humble of all men. shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were terrified but the angel said to them do not be afraid I bring you good news of great joy which shall be for all people for today for today in the town of David a savior has been born, who is Christ, the Lord, who is the angel of the Lord, who is the Messiah, who is the Son of God. I bring you good news. The one who came to his people to rescue them of old, from Egypt has come to us as his people to deliver us from the bondage of sin of Satan of the grave of hell and he does this by being born 
It's the babe of Bethlehem. Bring you good news. Savior's been born. The only possible way that he could save us is to take on our flesh, to become one of us. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. Isaac Watts, a pretty famous hymn writer, included in one of his hymns these words, which does not seem to appear in many of our hymn books. These two stanzas. Arrayed in mortal flesh, he like an angel stands and holds the promises and pardons in his hands. Commissioned from his Father's throne to make his grace to mortals known. Should all the host of death and powers of hell unknown put their most dreadful forms of rage and mischief on, I shall be safe, for Christ displays superior power and guardian grace. He is the angel of the Lord. And he guards and protects and saves and encourages and disciplines and covenants with us, his people. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for reminding us, Lord, of the fact that Christ appeared many times to his people. And each of those appearances is a testimony to his greatness, to his power, to his majesty. Yet he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of us, and even suffering death. Therefore, God, you have exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To him be the glory forever and ever. And God's people say, Amen.